It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. Although the holidays are meant to be a time for joy and cheer, they can be especially difficult for members of law enforcement who are out on the job. While many are able to take off time to spend with their families, police officers must remain on the job as they serve their community. The job is a difficult one, and oftentimes, officers witness heavy, horrific things when tasked with protecting others. All these factors play critical roles in the mental well-being of police which can also have an impact on their ability to effectively do their jobs. That's why one nonprofit is working to change that. The Community Police Relations Foundation, CPR, works to strengthen the relationship between officers and their communities in order to combat depression and create a more prosperous environment. Al Eskenazi is the founding chairman and CEO of the CPR Foundation. Today, he joins me to highlight the incredible work his organization does this time of year especially, and to advocate for mental health awareness for law enforcement officers. I founded Community Police Relations Foundation, also known as CPR Foundation, in January of 2018 upon my retirement. And I did it because I felt the world was just going upside down and our society certainly was, how shall I say, just not not commencing in a normal way. So we began the foundation simply for bringing community together with law enforcement in non-law uh, enforcement matters so that people get to know each other as one-on-one -on -one human beings. We do this through outreach into communities. We'll hold community events. We'll give out thousands of turkeys, feed to thousands of people. But all the turkeys are handed out by law enforcement. At that time, People have an opportunity to sit down one-on-one -on -one with each other and get to know one another. During the first three months of COVID, January through April of 2020, we had officers handing out $50 supermarket gift cards. How did they do it? Door-to-door, -door, knocking on a door, saying, hey, we're from various departments. We're here to give you a $50 grocery card to help you get through this period of time that we're, that we're facing now. But through all the stress, you know, just being a law enforcement officer is difficult enough, especially in many areas that we serve. I guess right now we're speaking about New York City. Uh, just imagine being in difficult neighborhoods day in and day out, what an officer sees every day of his or her life in the way of, of trauma, in the way of people in need, in the way of services, in the way of criminality. It's a very difficult psychological concept to go through a career with. And many officers develop something like akin to a post-traumatic stress disorder or just depression. And in order to, to combat that, we discovered uh, another non-governmental organization, a foundation known as Bouldercrest Foundation. Bouldercrest uh, services veterans who are going through what you one would call post-traumatic stress disorder. But they came up with a new concept. And the twist is 
We don't believe in a disorder. We believe in post-traumatic growth. So take a negative and turn it into a positive. And when I heard that, uh, I, they reached out to me, actually. And they said they've been trying to break through to law enforcement for the last two years and have not been able to. Because that thin blue line, I guess it's made of titanium or something. They saw that we had broken through over the years. We're not starting our seventh year in January. And they wanted to know if we would work with them. So we began the pilot program in Miami-Dade County, Florida. And at that point in time, we began it with only two departments. Miami-Dade County is very different than New York City. New York City have 36 or 33,000 law enforcement officers working for the department, New York City the Police Department. Down in Miami-Dade, there are 37 different municipalities, each with their own police chief, each with their own police force. On top of that, you have the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And on top of that, you have the state prosecutors. So as you can see, it's a diverse group of people under various leaderships. Well, we began a program in two, only two of those departments from this book called Struggle Well. And the concept was we took the veterans program, the non-governmental organization, Boulder Crest's program. We implemented it in two departments. I'm on the uh, advisory board with the uh, Miami-Dade County Chiefs of Police Association. So when I introduced this, I didn't get much of a response. After three or four months of this program, suddenly everyone said, well, the chiefs would say, how come I can't get into that? I'd like to get my officers into that. And at that point in time, we started opening it up. Now, you understand this. The program is not a one-hour lay-on-the-couch program. It's a five-day, 40-hour-a-week cathodic program where we would bring in what now is 40 officers at a time. And they sit there for, four, for five days. The first day, as you might imagine, they're not as inclined to work with the program. They just, you know, another eight hours sitting here doing whatever. That's a Monday. By Wednesday, there's no resistance any longer. They're buying into the program. They understand how important this is for them to identify what trauma they may be living through and experiencing and not necessarily recognizing by Thursday, it's cathartic, and we have all sorts of emotions spilling out. And by Friday, it's a complete program. So we've put well over 6,000 law enforcement officers through this program in approximately 40 months. At January, I think, I guess it was October 1st of this year, we were able to mature the program to include peer-to-peer -peer support. What does that mean? Well, the example I like to use is one that's true. 2.30 a.m. in the morning, a law enforcement officer gets a distress call, a domestic violence call, and they respond immediately. And many of the areas they're responding to are very difficult areas where there are known gangs or known people that, that uh, have illicit guns or whatever it may be. They still respond. In most cases, they're responding alone until backup comes to join them. The officer, in this case, walked into a situation with a hostile individual. He subdues the, the individual. Backup shows up, but on the floor is a woman and a battered child. 
Now, this officer has to tend to this woman until an ambulance comes and attend to the battered child. How does he then go home or she go home that night as and, and just like nothing happened, present with their, their spouse, present with their children, and not be traumatized by this? Now, if it was a one-off situation, that would be one thing. But this is something that reoccurs. I'm not going to say day in and day out, but constantly reoccurs in the course of an officer's month or year or career. So what we've done with Boulder Crest Foundation and the Struggle Well program is take officers that have done very, very well and showed a tremendous amount of skill in dealing with trauma and dealing with other officers' empathy, with empathy. As a result of that, this officer at 2.30 a.m. in the morning now, after the scene is cleared, would be able to call another peer officer and say, hey, I just had a trauma. I'd like to, to, to get together with you. And within certainly less than two hours, certainly an hour, we have two responding peer-to-peer officers that have been through the program, that received the certification, and that are there to help that trauma, that officer who is traumatized by what he just saw at the point of the trauma. So in other words, he's not waiting six months, a year, two years, till it regurgitates in his mind. He's able to deal with it there and then. And we have found through this program that divorce rates are down, attempted suicides are down, and how shall I say? I don't want to. I don't want to say everything is back to normal. But what it is, it gives the promise of overcoming the traumas that you may have experienced, and that's known as our um, uh, struggle well peer to peer support program. We, Community Police Relations Foundation, CPR Foundation, uh, members have supported this, funded this, and uh, we're as I say, we're probably now in. Uh, 40, uh, 44th month doing this. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. And can you share a little bit about some personal stories that officers have shared with you? Um, either or members of the community about the the passing out from those in uniform, having uniforms be the ones to connect directly with their fellow members of the community um, or the trauma program, because both sound so impactful. I'd, I'd love to hear an anecdote or two about how they've had a meaningful impact. Coincidentally, this morning, I was with one of our departments and in a community uh, environment. There was a new captain appointed to a specific district wanted the community to get to know him and his staff. We had numbers of, of uh, staff there as well. And it turned out that, af- that after he was speaking, the uh, lieutenant and the sergeant in charge of, uh, I'm saying in charge, but who had who's, who's designated to be uh, handling the uh, homeless circumstance, got up to speak. And they were explaining homelessness. They were explaining how it's not necessarily a police uh, penal code that they're responding to, but to the individual. And they were showing empathy for that. 
And I was struck by the fact that we always hear you know, police brutality or we, we hear uh, you know, police reform. And yet the individuals, two of them in particular, were complaining that why aren't you arresting these people? And the officers had to go over half an hour to explain, you can't just arrest somebody because they happen to be sitting on a park bench over and over and over again. They're, they're, you know, so, so it was traumatic for the officer to be frustrated by somebody who, on one hand, you hear, you know, you, you're too physical with people, you're too many arrests. And on the other hand, here are trained officers that are basically dealing with homelessness as a social worker would. The level of training that our, our officers have today, New York City is an example. It's When I was growing up in the 60s, officers were a lot different than they are today. The officers of, of today are people who grew up in these communities in New York. They're people of the same communities that they patrol today, not necessarily same areas, but they're city kids who grew up wanting to serve. So they serve as police officers, they serve as chaplains, they serve as firefighters, EMT you know, responders. And yet getting people to, to understand both sides of this equation is just a real difficult task today. And it's beguiling to me. And you know what, I'm curious because I, I think you really hit the nail on the head. And that's why I keep saying law enforcement community and then the greater community, because the whole point is law enforcement, like all first responders, are members of the same community in which they serve. There's no distinction. And so people often talk about bridging, you know, between law enforcement and the community. And to me, the whole point is they are part of that community. Can you speak to maybe how either sort of social media or entertainment media has served to drive that wedge in between the two, given your point about how especially here, you know, so many who grow up in these neighborhoods then serve the neighborhoods formally in uniform in one format or another. So the reality is far more integrated and far more inclusive than a lot of, I think, either pop culture or current media would, would see it framed. I cannot believe you're asking me that question because that's a question I usually have to tiptoe through very, very delicately. Uh, um, so look, I'll be very, very real with you. I was born and raised in a place called the Bronx. My wife was raised in Brownsville, Brooklyn. So our bona fides to the street, I, I think, are beyond reproach. On top of that, I became a very successful businessman. I, so I go from the street to the boardrooms, quite frankly, and everything in between. So I believe I have a good feel of our society from every strata. And yet, I go to Brownsville, Brooklyn, as an example. I'm with the people in Brownsville, whether it's, whether it's distributing Winter coats, by the way, when I say distributing, I mean, I may be buying them, but it's law enforcement. It's the blue that is distributing the turkeys, the winter coats, the shoes. It's the blue that's handing out the $50 gift cards. I'm just there as the support. But what's amazing, now I told you, January begins my seventh year doing this as a retired man. 
Every event I have, Orchard Beach, 4,000 people turning out for a basketball event that we put all these kids together for basketball pro a basketball program. Uh, all the events we do, there's no media that comes out to cover it. Why? I guarantee you this. If somebody would take a gun and shoot one bullet, you'd have vast amount of media there. But for the showing the goodness of the blue uniform, they're not there. They are not there. But what I'd like you to understand is the people the love the police. They do not, they're not hostile to the police. Last August, I was in, I, I think it was PS 284 in Brownsville, when my wife happened to have gone many, many years ago. We were in the courtyard. We were handing out winter coats. We, we had uh, food trucks. I had I happen to have had a Mr. Softy truck there. By the way, it's the number one hit wherever I go when I bring Mr. Softy out. And <laughs> 700 people, 250 kids. And then I had to go to my, my vehicle to get something. And there were seven guys sitting on a park bench. True story. Regrettably, I was in a suit and tie. Because I represent all my members. So I represent. Um, I walked past these seven gentlemen sitting on, well, maybe they weren't gentlemen, seven guys sitting on a park bench. One guy pops up and he says to me with beautiful street language, he says, you're the guy that uh, brought all these cops here. You know, and they started espousing his opinion of that. I stopped where I was aware of what could go wrong. And I said to them, look, if you don't want these officers here, I'm going to call them out right now. We're all going to leave and never come back. But you're going to get all these winter coats. You're going to get the shoes. You're going to do the food drive, the backpacks, the book, the books, and everything else, including that Mr. Sarkin truck. Are you going to do that? Because if you are, we will never come back. With that, unfortunately or fortunately, the leader of this gang stands up and he starts ranking on this guy, which is not a good look for me because now the guy's going to get aggravated with me. And he says, let me tell you something. And he's talking to him. If he takes those cops out of here, the guys on the East, East Gate, the guys on the West Gate and us, we're going to be shooting each other. The only thing that keeps us alive is the buffer of law of cops, he said. The buffer of cops being here, they keep us alive. We don't want them. We don't like them. But without them, we're all going to kill each other. So he said some choice words to this other guy. He sat down quietly. I proceeded to shake his hand, say thank you for, for understanding this. And I got my stuff and I went back to the schoolyard. So a great majority of what we see on media is people who have something to gain by the chaos, whether they're paid uh, people who are leading this, or they true believers, maybe, but it's not representative of the street. And I will say this I will meet anyone anywhere to walk through these neighborhoods and speak to the people about their feeling for law enforcement. And I guarantee you, you're going to hear wonderful things about how they need the police. And now we're cutting back on police after we just lost a couple thousand officers. Now we're going to cut back again. Well, you might be able to save a law enforcement uh, uh, cop's salary 
But that savings will multiply tenfold in crime, theft, burglaries, rapes, all sorts of other things. And that is not just my opinion. That is something you could see for yourself statistically. So excuse me for, for, for raging here, but it's a subject I usually tiptoe through. I'm so grateful to have your honest analysis and your voice here. Last question, just to close with this, what would be your next goals for the foundation and how can people specifically help? Can they help from any state? Is this regional? How can they show their support and what would be your next accomplishments for the foundation? You know, chief of department, Madri, and, and, and uh, Inspector Perry, I can go, I shouldn't name names. These people have so much heart in this game that it's, I've been involved with law enforcement for 15 years. It's an unusual aspect to see so many leaders with such big hearts understanding this. So what happened there is from there, I also serve in the capacity with Nassau County Police Department and Nassau County SPCA. But the point is from there, I came down to Florida uh, and all of a sudden there was there were people here that I met and they wanted to, to do more and I wanted to do more. So we began the foundation, Community-Police Relations Foundation. It, we're not law enforcement. We're just everyday people. We're you. We're your neighbors who got together and said, we want to stop sitting on the couch yelling at the TV. We want to do something. We're participants. We're not observers. So in doing so, we developed a reputation. Then I got a phone call from Newark, New Jersey. They couldn't get together with their community. Okay. We held a home run derby with Newark, New Jersey Police Department. They had 700 people show up. The officers, we had nine officers partaking, and they said, you know, we don't understand what you want us to do. Well, all I want you to do is mingle with the crowd, mingle with the people, talk to them. Don't cut, don't be two, three cops at a time, be one cop at a time. And so you're going to take this, the clinic on batting. You take the clinic on catching. You take the clin clinic on running. You take the dunk tank. Yes, you're going to be in a dunk tank. And let's show our humanity with these people. So we broke bread with everybody. At the end of it, the officers in the huddle, tears coming down the rise. They never had been received so well. Everyone was coming over and come on over for coffee. Let's get to know one another. And they, they've been doing that. And then I got a call from somebody in Chicago. An officer, just as beat, regular beat cop, not a, not a, not brass. We don't do, we don't work with politicians, but we do work with anybody that is willing to work with an open heart, no prejudice. So we now have a basketball program in Chicago. I have that officer. I have um, what I call our ambassadors who are in Chicago, who are in Newark. And now we have a basketball program. And this basketball program takes kids off the street every day. Otherwise, they're part of the street problem. We did the same thing in L.A. I got a phone call from somebody in L.A. Hey, we heard about your program. We now have a boxing program in the foothills of L.A. This is how it mushroomed. And now we do, we feed them. Thousands upon thousands of people at our police events. 
And, um, you know, we just keep expanding where people invite us. It's as simple as that. Pretty soon we'll be in the Carolinas, so forth and so on. So we are cprfcharity.org, cprfcharity.org. We're not for profit. We don't, we have one person on salary and um, we do thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of, of working with, with people in the street. Albeit, these areas are areas of need only. So, uh, you know, although we, I do speaking engagements elsewhere, I, I will go to a church. I will go to, to a community center. And it's, it, I wish you could see the positivity, the joy. In Brownsville, Brooklyn, we had an event about four months ago in the community center. People didn't want to leave. It was three, four hours. Chief Madry was there. Look, you got a, a detective like Wally Brandt in Brownsville. He's been there for 30 years. That community will do anything for him. He's a white gentleman, but he's been there long enough so that he's not transient to the community. He's been part of that community. They accept him. They trust him more than anything else. They trust him. And he's always there. Now he's retiring in January. We lose that opportunity of trust. However, the chief will do what he has to do to make it work. And as I will as well. What else can I say to you? No, this was perfect, Al. Thank you so much for joining us today. Al Eskenazi, the chairman and CEO of the CPR Foundation. You've done incredible work. And I know that the best days are ahead of you for this foundation. I've seen firsthand the good works that this foundation does. It's been an honor not only to witness that, but to have you here today. And we will undoubtedly be cheering you on and supporting all of the good works ahead. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at truecrimepodcast at fox.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.